Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is before the box score. Advantage me! I uh, my my heart rate has just just stopped beating as fast as it could possibly uh, go, and that you know the game's been over for five hours. Um, BK, I don't even know where to start as far as talking about this. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. Um, it's it's unbelievable, man. I, I think my title to my piece today was the five takeaways from Missouri's unbelievable comeback victory against Arkansas. It's the greatest fourth quarter comeback history in the history of Mizzou football. So if you've been watching Mizzou football since the very beginning, you literally have never seen them come back from anything bigger than they did today in the fourth quarter. Woo. It's never happened before. Mm-hmm. Um, and Missouri Twitter will let you know about that, which was pretty <laughs> sweet. Um, it, it was awesome. It was really amazing. And there are a million different things to get into. Um, do you want to start with Larry Roundtree? Cause I feel like he, for me was kind of the star of the game again. <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean, to me, he wasn't the star, but he was certainly the engine that drove that comeback. I'll tell you that. I remembered as I was kind of thinking about, okay, how do you put this game into perspective? Um, I remembered a quote from Eli Drinkwitz from his introductory press conference. So this is going back to when he was first introduced and people were asking, like, what the heck is an Eli Drinkwitz offense, right? And Eli Drinkwitz said, we're going to be quarterback driven. We're going to have a dominant downhill running game. 
a vertical passing game, and we're going to execute well under pressure, end quote. Man, that was today's game. Like, if I were to describe Missouri's offense today, they were really good with their downhill, uh, or their downhill running game. They were really good in the vertical passing game with both Kiki Chisholm and Damon Hazleton. And, man, you want to talk about pressure, whether it's the defensive line from Arkansas getting after Connor Basilek and him having to move up in the pocket a bit, or just, like, actual pressure of adversity getting to them. That mm-hmm. was... That was exactly what this Missouri offense was today, and the guy that made it all kind of happen, the engine as you called it, was Larry Roundtree. 27 more carries, a buck 85, another three touchdown uh, performance on the ground. It's unbelievable, man. He, he keeps doing it each and every week. The consistency with which he's doing it is unlike just about anybody around college football right now. Yeah. Uh 185 for this game, 160 against Vanderbilt, uh, well, 58 against South Carolina. But yeah. that was not that was not a game we want to really look at. He has come alive uh, in these past couple of games, and it's uh, it's been needed. It really has. Now, obviously, you don't need a whole lot against Vanderbilt, but God, it's just he has been able to really crank it up and and carry the load. And and you know, you go back to to the Kentucky game. What was that? That was that was like 37, 38 carries, 126 yards. Like he can be the grinded out back and then he has recently against Vanderbilt and Arkansas anyway become this highlight like flash material kind of running back. He is what 6.9 yards per carry uh this mm-hmm. this game. Um a 30 like a 30 plus yard rush, uh, almost 40 yard rush. He had a couple big 10, 12 yard gains like he just he was patient enough behind that offensive line again, uh, patient enough to find the hole, hit it, and then make dudes miss, make dudes feel bad about themselves. Um, that scamper to the left, what was it, the second quarter, first quarter, second quarter, certainly the first half, uh, where he just skirted on the outside and raced somebody to the corner. Like, I never thought I'd, I'd see Larry Roundtree outrun dudes at this point in his, in his career. Uh, but he's been able to hit the corner and, and, and burn some dudes in the past couple games. And, uh, you know, I saw on Twitter, I think it was Stephen Kears, he's like, you know, I'd give anything to have Larry Roundtree for three more years. Technically, he could stick around for another one if he yeah. wanted to. But I, I think that this is his swan song season, and, man, he is certainly making it count. Yeah, and today, I mean, he took th- um, full advantage of all of the senior – senior day stuff so i i fully expect that he's going to move on yeah. same thing yeah um we, we saw the same thing and i'm sure we'll get into this uh with nick bolton he took advantage of it today as well so i think he's probably headed as he should be to the nfl mm-hmm. um if if not larry roundtree said he wouldn't have been your number one star for this game he, he got it for me who would have been your number one star from this one harrison mother <laughs> effing mevis our dear thicker um, let me, let me rattle this off. I believe if I'm counting correctly. He had 11, we had 11 kickoffs. Um, but that's not really the interesting point. The interesting point is this Harrison went five for five. It's a hundred percent on extra points. And he went five for five on field goals, including the most important one at the end of the game. That is 20 points. That was 20 points mm-hmm. of a 50-point score that the Tigers put up today. And it didn't really matter where he was on the field. I think his lawn was 51, if I remember correctly. Um, 
he is an 18 year old freshman, maybe 19, who has calm wisdom, just chill beyond his years, uh, and and it generated his first uh, quotable aspect of being a, a Tiger player. When after the game, he uh, he was asked about the kick. He's like, it was just like any other kick. Um, they asked him about being being uh, iced by by Sam Pittman. He's like, I don't know, it just gave me more time to think about what I needed to do. <laughs> Advantage me. I just, if you're not going to get that tattooed across your chest after this game, then I don't know. I don't know who you are. Like that. That is just the most perfect, quotable thing uh, for this Missouri football team to rally around. And this is from an 18 year old kicker who just nailed it. Absolutely nailed it, and provided enough points uh, to keep the Tigers alive. If I'm seeing this correctly, and I don't know. Sports reference is sometimes correct, sometimes not. But <laughs> yeah. according to sports reference, um, he is the first SEC kicker to make at least five field goals in a game since 2018, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. He is the yeah. first SEC kicker in the last 20 years to make at least five field goals and at least five extra points, which Good means God. that he's also the first to be able to do both while being 100%. On both of those <laughs> things. Oh, damn. That's pretty incredible, man. Like you said, he directly mm-hmm. contributed to 20 points in this game. I wish he didn't have to. I wish that they were better <laughs> yeah. on some of these. We, we've talked so much this year about um, finishing drives, right? Scoring mm-hmm. opportunities and what Missouri does in those opportunities and how that's that's probably next year as we kind of start preparing for that season. Something that we're going to talk about as the next step for this offense, being able to finish mm-hmm. those opportunities once they get into the red zone or just scoring opportunities in general on the other inside of the other 40. But when you don't finish them, I mean, I'm not sure the last time that I felt like I had this much confidence in a kicker the age of Harrison Mevis. I mean, he, he's <laughs> a true freshman right now. And yeah. I don't know how you felt going into that final kick. I thought he was going to make it. Like, I, I had complete confidence that Harrison Mevis was going to make that field goal, and I know it wasn't a long one. It was, what, 32, I guess? 32, yeah. Um, that's not a long field goal, but it's a college kicker. And you, mm-hmm. you just never know with those guys. And so I compared it in my piece today, my takeaways piece, to in baseball, if you're a fan of a baseball team, there are certain relievers that have pretty good numbers, but when they come into the game, you, like – even if it's irrationally, you just don't have a good feeling about the way that it's going to go. In a big spot, you just feel like they're going to give up the run that they cannot give up in that spot. And so it's almost as much about feel with relievers as it is about looking at the numbers in any individual thing for fans, right? I'm not talking about for the manager, but for fans. Sure. It kind of feels that way with kickers too, where (laughs) sometimes you have these kickers that when you look at the numbers, you're like, damn, they were actually pretty darn good. But in the moment, you're like, I don't know if this guy's going to make this. <laughs> and Mevis isn't that way at all. The numbers are really good. And in the moment, you just feel really good about him. So I can't say enough good things about him. He's a fun character. Uh, I loved that they gave him the uh, game ball afterwards. He certainly yeah. was deserving. And yeah. his interview after, as you said, is is something of legends. And it was it was truly a game to remember for him today. I I, I I said it on Twitter, I'll say it here. That boy doesn't have to pay for anything in Como for the rest of his life, whether it be a beer, a, a chocolate-covered eclair, 
uh, whatever he is feeling at the moment. We've got you covered, man. You are an integral part of this team and, and a, the core reason we won this game today. So uh, very impressed by him. Uh, if, so if, if Larry Roundtree was kind of the star for you and Harrison Mewis was the star for me, the, the guy who turned the game around, Tyler freaking Beatty. Yeah. Uh, mostly quiet throughout the first three quarters. Uh, and then in the fourth quarter, he got, what, six rushes for 79 yards, all, if I remember correctly? All of his touches, or all of his rushing touches, rather, came in the fourth quarter. Yeah. All of his and production on the ground. I don't know if that was by design or by circumstance, but he, when when Arkansas went up 14, and I'm kind of thinking, well, that might have been it, uh, Beatty takes it, you know, takes the handoff for, uh, I don't know, it was like a 40-yard run or something like that. Um, was it 40? 46. No, it was 46. 46. Uh, and scores a touchdown. Like, just like that. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, Tyler Beatty doesn't want to lose today. And uh, it just it just kept going. It, it was incredible. I, I was just, Part of me was like, why haven't we seen Tyler Beatty all game? Doesn't really matter. The fact was, dude was ready to play when, he w- when his number was called. And uh, the dude delivered. And two touchdowns in the fourth quarter to help turn around that, that comeback effort right there. He was incredible. Um, the, the 46 yard carry was amazing. He made, he made a guy look silly. He put him in the blender where he started one way, start kind of like gave a quick false step to the right. Mm -hmm. The D back turned his hips and then it was just gone. Tyler Beatty's too fast. And there was no, he had no chance made another guy miss on the way to the end zone. And it, one of the better runs that you'll see. Uh, from Mizzou all season long and then he had the other long one later on in the game as well that ended up in the touchdown micro incredible for performance that was that was amazing <laughs> and needed necessary because they weren't going to be able to come back without that from him the the big playability that he brought was something that they needed because they just had to score so much I mean they ended up scoring mm-hmm. 27 points in the fourth quarter so incredible just, eventually you're at you're in a clock again or you're in a race against time and he helps them win that race by having those big explosive plays that he is known for. Macro, looking at this kind of through the bigger picture lens, because as we said earlier, Larry Roundtree's going to be gone after this season. So that's a really big role that's going to be gone. And you need somebody to be able to pick it up. I don't think Beatty is the same guy that's going to be... I don't think Beatty next year is going to have any games of 30-plus carries. I just don't think that's no, the role you're going to no. see from him. That Definitely being not. said, instead of getting six carries in a game like this against Arkansas, where he doesn't touch the ball on a running play until the fourth quarter, I think you're going to be few and far between where he doesn't get 10 to 15 carries. And so he's mm. going to take on a bigger role next year. And today I think he proved, once again, and this it wasn't a big question for me, but once again, he's capable of doing that at a really high level. And the combination of him and Elijah Young will be different than having Larry Roundtree, but I think it's going to be really productive nonetheless. Yeah. Elijah Young has shown flashes in the few carries that he's had. He seems to be more of a kind of a big impact chunk runner so far, but so did Larry Roundtree in his first year, and he adapted to be more of a steady thumper than than the, his, uh, the rest of his peers. So, you know, who knows what's going to happen. We Of course, we got Taj Butts coming in too. So, I mean, there's – who knows what it's going to be, but Beatty can definitely shoulder more of a load. Uh, he, he was split out wide for a lot more passes this game than I remember in previous games uh, and, and utilized in the running game, obviously, as well. So 
he's more of a utility guy. He's more of your Marcus Murphy type. You need that steadying presence in the backfield. And, you know, if that means that he has to shoulder a little bit more of a load while Young or Butts or whoever gets gets their feet under him, that's fine. Um, but I hope he doesn't go for the NFL because we're all kind of banking on him going back next year. Uh, but it, it's just, I don't know. It was it was impressive to see that. And then on top of that, I mean, gosh, we, we talked last week about Kiki Chisholm mm-hmm. and the dude became the first Mizzou receiver since Ole Miss last year to go over 100 yards. Uh, six catches, 113 yards, and a lot of those, especially in those last final drives, were huge. They were, and I got to give a ton of credit to Kiki, man. Um, I have been sure. as harsh, as critical of his play early in the season as anybody. We started giving him more credit a couple of weeks ago, um, really after the South Carolina game. That was when it was like, okay, what did it did mm-hmm. against Florida? Maybe not totally just about the junk time. Um, South Carolina, six for 57 Vandy five for 67 this week, six for one thirteen. He is now becoming a consistent chain moving threat at that X receiver position that we thought he was going to be. And you talked about this on the show on Tuesday. You were like, listen, when you actually dive into this a little bit, it kind of makes sense why the first three games of the year, he struggled. You look at the mm-hmm. matchups, Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky. Okay. I kind of get it. And you also look at the quarterback performances in those plays. You kind of get it. And now he's starting to get more opportunities and he's taking advantage of them in a huge, huge way. He deserves Mm -hmm. a ton of credit for what he did today, but he's not the only receiver that I want to give credit to because that group balled out in this game, man. Towski Dove had a couple of drops, but overall was really good in the game. Barrett Bannister I remember yeah. one third down in particular where he had no right, no right whatsoever <laughs> to get that first down, but he was not going to be denied and he found a way to get it. And it was a huge, huge play by him. And there were multiple of those. It seemed like every time they needed a third down or a significant play, Barrett Bannister was coming up. And then mm-hmm. the guy that I really want to highlight because he's had a, a maybe more difficult season in some ways than Kiki Chisholm. Yep. is Damon Hazelton. Yep. That dude was money on that final drive. Yeah. Absolute money. And when they needed it the most, it was Kiki Chisholm and Barrett Bannister and Damon Hazelton out there on the field. And those mm-hmm. were the guys that they relied upon. And, man, first of all, credit to Drinkwitz for being willing to do that because he was going with the guys that were getting the play, making the plays. That takes some big brass balls if you're Eli Drinkwitz <laughs> to do that. Um, mm-hmm. He stuck with them, and they made it pay off. On that final drive, Damon Hazleton had two catches for 26 yards and ultimately helps them set up the game-winning field goal. So that entire unit as a whole deserves um, a helmet sticker for what they did in that game. Just, just a tremendous performance. On the flip side, and... We're getting into more negative territory, but it's okay, because guess what? Remember, Missouri still won, so it's okay. The defense. I am Can I say a few things about Connor Bazelek? Please, God, yeah. Let's let's talk about Bazelek before we get into the defense, because this is this is better. Uh Bazelek still does not have a touchdown pass since uh <laughs> since South Carolina, so keep going. Um I have seen some critical comments about Connor Bazelek today. I really? think it's I think it's absurd. I think it's absolutely absurd. Yes, I agree. Um, I understand that there were moments where it didn't look pretty. 
you got to remember, that is still a good Arkansas defense. I know they didn't look that way today, but they do some unique things. Barry Odom is a really, really good defensive coach. And that was a defense that was giving quarterbacks nightmares for much of the season in terms of forcing turnovers. Basilock finished the game with zero turnovers. He mm-hmm. was 32 for 49 for 380 yards. He was really good. And I know that a couple of the throws might not have looked great. But a couple of those deep balls that didn't look quote-unquote great would have looked really good if the receivers came down with him. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. And sure. there were a couple of those to Kiki Chisholm where he was just like right there, really close, mm-hmm. and almost had him. There was... Uh, I remember one early to Towski Dove where just they, they weren't able to connect. I thought he was really good in this game. And there's one thing that kind of comes to mind for me, um, and it goes back to the zero takeaways for that Arkansas defense. Basiluk has now thrown at least 300 yards and zero interceptions three times this season, which means basically he's been a volume passer that didn't throw the ball to the other team, right? Mm-hmm. All of those were against Power 5 opponents, which is yeah. huge. Drew Locke, for comparison, did that twice in his entire career against Power (laughs) 5 competition. Again, Baselick has done that three times this season. The last Mm -hmm. Mizzou quarterback to have three such games against Power 5 opponents was Blaine Gabbert in 2009. Baselick is doing things in terms of the volume production without giving the ball to the other team that we haven't seen from a Mizzou quarterback this decade. And he's doing so as a redshirt freshman who Mm -hmm. had all of one start last year. (laughs) Basilek was really good today. And as much as I'm giving a ton of credit to the receivers because they deserve it, and a ton of credit to Roundtree and Beatty because they deserve it in the offensive line, give them a shout-out today, too. They were really good in the running game in particular. Connor Basilek Mm -hmm. also deserves a lot of props, especially for what he did on that last drive where – he once again proved he's got ice water in his veins. So huge, huge game for Connor Bay's luck as well. Yeah. I, I think that last drive would just perfectly encapsulated everything that he is. He, he would, you know, bide his time, find someone who's open. Um, sometimes it was over the middle. Sometimes it was the corner, but it was the right read. It was enough to get the first down and keep the chains moving. And it was smart plays. Um, he was, he was feeling pressure. Obviously, Arkansas was great in coverage for most of the most of the game. There's a lot of tough tough balls caught out there, and he was able to make it work. And no, it didn't end in a touchdown. <laughs> Few of uh, Basilex throws end in touchdowns. That's just kind of how it is. Uh, but it, he made the right he made the right calls with this with this receiving core. And I'm I can't believe people are getting upset about Basilex's performance because like what do you expect from a redshirt freshman? What do you expect? He's not going to be winging it everywhere now with this receiving core. Uh, he just makes the smart read. He finds someone who's open. You're going to have a couple drops, couple misses, but you know, 65 completion, 65 percent completion percentage is still really freaking good. 380 yards is not easy to do against any Power Five opponent. And yeah, not turning it over when that's literally the thing that Arkansas relies on to win. Yeah, I don't know. That's all you can ask for. He followed the Get game over plan. It. He followed the game plan today. The game plan was don't give the ball to the other team. And if we do that, we got a really good chance to win. And he did yeah. that. And oh, by the way, the offense that he's the engine behind, it's a quarterback driven offense. Remember that quote that mm-hmm. I mentioned from earlier uh, from Eli yeah. Drinkwitz? They scored 50 points against an Arkansas defense that has not given up a whole lot of 50 point games this season. So uh, full, full yep. props to him. All right. <laughs> 
<laughs> Let's go over to the defensive side of the ball where it's uh, it's less hunky-dory. <laughs> Look, we've seen bad Mizzou defensive performances this year. LSU was a bad defensive performance, but they still were able to hang their hat on that last drive with a four, the, the, the goal line stand for four downs, right? Like that, we, we stepped away from that game going, yeah, it wasn't great, but it was good when it had to be. I don't know how you qualify this one other than just bad, like just flat out bad. You had a little bit of pressure here and there. KJ Jefferson was really good at avoiding it. You didn't really have any pass deflections. You didn't have any turnovers. You had a couple of fumbles that you missed out on, but that defensive line was just pushed back effortlessly. Traylon Smith, who has not been a good volume rusher, ran 26 times for 172 yards. Mm. Traylon Burks was literally the only receiver that you needed to cover, and he had 10 catches for 206 yards. The rest of the receiving core, the other one, two, three, four, five, other six guys who caught a pass had nine catches altogether. <laughs> Eight catches altogether. Traylon Burks had 10 of them. Like, there was just there was nothing that this Missouri defense could do because they couldn't get pressure and they couldn't cover long enough. And then, oh, by the way, Nick Bowen was taken out of the first in the first half. We'll get to that in a second. But there was just nothing good that they did. And it's really hard for me, other than a couple of like the first three and out and like another three and out later in. Uh, there's just very little good to talk about this defense. Yeah, it was ugly, man. Um, and we'll get into the actual. Th- We'll get into the targeting from Nick Bolton here in a minute, but I do wonder how much of that is because Bolton wasn't in the game. Um, People don't realize how important the linebackers are to getting the defensive Mm -hmm. line set, um, the communication that they have. That doesn't account for all of it. Mizzou was already performing not particularly well, even when he was on the field into the second quarter, uh, defensively Mm -hmm. at least. But... It is a big deal that Bolton wasn't out there. And I noticed more than once, like Chad Bailey, um, in a bigger picture sense, again, micro versus macro, uh, bigger picture sense, he didn't look like he was ready for this yet. Um, And maybe he will be next year. Maybe he's going to be a fantastic player at Mizzou. I hope that is all the case. They had to take him off the field eventually because Jamal Mm -hmm. Brooks was just better than him. Um, And I know that Brooks on that last drive – missed the tackle, and then ultimately um, drops the pass into the arms of the Arkansas receiver. But but yep. Brooks was, was the better of the two between him and Chad Bailey at that spot whenever Bolton came out of the game. They were just getting shredded. The defensive mm-hmm. line, as you mentioned, getting blown off of the ball almost every single down, uh, missing tackles, wide receivers coming uncovered, miscommunications in the secondary that we haven't seen a lot of. This is one of those where it's almost like the boat that has the hole, and then there's another one that pops up, and another one that hops up. And and you're, like, watching a cartoon, and the guy has, like, seven different arms suddenly to try to plug all the holes. (laughs) And there's just, eventually, there's too many holes for you to be able to plug. And that's how I felt watching this game, is when they would try to fix one thing, another issue would pop up. And maybe, you know what, we probably should have seen this coming because they started a backup quarterback. Let's be honest here. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, you texted me right at the beginning of the game. Oh, backup quarterback. I said, oh, we're hosed. And I kind of meant that as a joke, but no, no. <laughs> it's it's the curse. It's the curse of the backup quarterback. Um, you know, the defensive line is already playing super thin. We knew that 
against Bandy, against South Carolina. That's just how it's been for the past month, basically. It's just it it never became a problem or never had a time to become a problem, I should say. Uh, and when, you know, Kendall Browse offense comes out there and, you know, runs warp speed and just runs right at you and rattles off play after play after play after play, yeah, it showed. Mm. They didn't have time to catch their breath. They, they, they couldn't get set. They didn't have any time to talk about what was happening. They did not have the bodies to rotate in. Even if they did get a second, they didn't have enough guys to rotate in and out. Um, I know after the game, Sam Pittman was like, you know, they certainly seem to have a lot of injuries, and that's not against the rules, but they certainly seem to have a lot of injuries to slow us down. Well, yes, Sam, it's because they have five guys to play four <laughs> spots, and they were tired. That's part of it. Like, they they had no answer, and, you know, there's only so many guys you can throw out there. I was surprised that the rotation was as tight as it was, uh, but if it wasn't Isaiah McGuire or Darius Robinson in the middle, then they, there just wasn't much answer. So, um there's no pressure in the middle. Once Bolton went out and, and there was the Jamal Brooks and, and Chad Bailey uh, juggling act, Martez Manuel started playing a lot closer to the line. Mm-hmm. And when he started doing that, that's when they started blowing holes in the, in the secondary because he wasn't there to cover at all. Um, I think Manuel ended up tied for second, tied for first for total tackles on the team. I think he had 12 total, yeah, eight most solo. solo tackles. Yeah, so you could see that he was being used a lot more often just to be a disruption factor, especially that last those last few Arkansas drives. He really just started straight up blitzing. Like, he's like, well, we have literally no other answer, so let's do this. Uh, so it was one less guy in the backfield, and you know Jarvis Ware is okay. Enos Rickstraw is, is talented, but young, and I mean they just they kind of had their way. Traylon Burks had his way with with the secondary, and and that was all he could do. Yeah, it was just a it was a really rough performance by the defense. Um, and I, by the way, if I'm an Arkansas fan, just kind of as a as a side note, I'm kind of wondering why KJ Jefferson hasn't played more often this year. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if what we saw today was real or not, but he looked better to me than Felipe Franks. And you know, I'm no big fan of Felipe Franks, but mm-hmm. he, he he looked good in this game. He did. Um, but the def- the defense as a whole, I mean. Some of this is bodies and the lack of fresh bodies. Some of this is, I know Enos Rakestraw missed a little bit of time at one point. Jarvis Ware missed a lot of time in this one. And I think you're starting to see now, okay, the depth is being tested and there Mm -hmm. isn't a whole lot of it on this defense right now. And it does honestly make me a little concerned about next year that we saw what this defense looks like for the first time, basically, without Nick Bolton. And it was not pretty it was it's really not. not pretty he just he erases so much because he has unbelievable instincts he's fantastic at diagnosing and then immediately getting to the ball and stopping what would have otherwise been a six or seven yard carry for two or three every time that he hits somebody they go backwards and we saw that today um, he's just he's a really really good player that makes everybody else around him, their jobs become a little easier. Their mistakes get exposed a little less often because he's able to erase all of that. And when he wasn't out there, guys like Jamal Brooks and Chad Bailey, God bless him, they don't have that same quality. And that's because Nick Bolton's a first-round player in the NFL draft, and it's hard to be that kind of a guy at the linebacker position. So I'm a little concerned moving forward about what that's going to mean for Mizzou's defense next year. They're they're going to have to find some sort of an answer on that side of the ball. And right now, it doesn't look like they really have one. Yeah. Here's the other thing to keep in mind. 
Vanderbilt's offense, according to SP Plus, which, you know, whatever your opinion is, that is what it is. But Arkansas's offense coming into this game was 55th in the country, according to SP Plus. What was Vanderbilt's? 121st. What was South Carolina's? 75th. What was Florida's? 6th. Yeah. What was LSU's? 19th. What was Alabama's? Well, it's first now. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is what this team, this Missouri Tigers team, if there is a talent advantage over them, they can hang, but they're not going to win. You can ask Tennessee. You can ask Alabama, right? If they are close, you know, within shouting distance, Kentucky, you know, 52nd, South Carolina, uh, Vanderbilt, like they have a talent advantage over you or as close, they can beat you. But if you are just far and away better uh, or quite a few spots better, you can find some you can find some holes. And Arkansas was able to do that. Uh, coming into this game, they haven't really been able to do that. But then again, they play in the SEC West. Um, now, I know SP Plus you know, kind of averages things out for opponent, but K.J. Jefferson brought a completely different dynamic. And it's not like he was running crazy all over everybody, but he did have that aspect. I think he ran 13 times or something like that. 12 or 13. So he was a little bit more mobile than uh, than Franks and just he made better reads. Yeah. Uh and and Missouri was not prepared for him at all. So um yeah, Al, you know Arkansas is not going to be confused with Alabama or Florida, but they are a better offense than what we've seen in the past month and I think we all forgot that our secondary has a propensity of getting burned <laughs> and that <laughs> Arkansas also is pretty good and also wants to win the game and can score some points. So uh, it was it was disappointing overall, but uh, I think this is this should have been expected. We should have been more prepared for something like this. Hey, probably. Um, I said coming in, though, I remember Tuesday I, I said repeatedly, like, I'm not worried about the Arkansas offense. I'm not worried about the Arkansas offense. And <laughs> I, yeah. I was just flat out wrong. Uh, I, I was wrong. And I should have been more worried. I don't know what the score would have been if Nick Bolton was in the game in the second half. But I, I don't think they would have put up 48. But they they did pretty well against Mizzou in the first half as well after they kind of figured him out on mm-hmm. those first that first drive or two. Um, let's get yeah. into that. Let's get into that Nick Bolton play. Um, I'll, I'll give you the floor first. What what'd you make of the penalty? Um, what do you make of targeting in general? I think this is as much a conversation about targeting as it is about that individual play for me. I will. Okay. So I'm, I'm probably a weirdo when it comes to targeting. Um, I like the rule. I think that it should be uh, adjudicated harshly. However, I think there is a difference between incidental contact and purposeful contact. And I think the referees called the rule by the letter of the law. Uh, I know Dave Matter asked. I know Sean Davis from the athletic department sent it out too. Um, It was a very specific rule that the referees were citing on there. So like we... We as fans don't know the rules as well as we think we do. Okay, let's just let's just make that that point fair. But it's NCAA Rule Nine One Four, and what that says is that targeting and making forcible contact to head or neck area of a defenseless player, right? You can't do that to the head or neck area with the helmet, the forearm, the hand, the fist, the elbow, or the shoulder. The foul requires that there be at least one indicator of targeting. Winning question, it is a foul. And then it goes into a lot of legalese about it. 
let's look at the play. Nick Bolton hit a, what is by the definition of the law, a defenseless player in the head with his shoulder. That is targeting. That's what it is. Now, it was not on purpose. (laughs) It was a play that just happens when you play football. And this has been a problem since it's been implemented and seems to be a lot more vocal this year. There needs to be a difference. And well, I think college basketball, there is a flagrant one and a flagrant two, if I remember correctly. Yep. And it's basically intent. If you are going to continue to have the targeting rule with the ejection, I'm fine with that. But if you're going to keep the ejection, then you need to have a differentiating clause between intentional and accidental. Maybe call it flagrant one or flagrant two. I don't know. But if it's just a bane, bane play where Nick Bolton had milliseconds to do something, and the guy did catch the ball, and he didn't want to hurt him, he hit his shoulder into the guy's face. Okay, cool. You can call that targeting and not throw him out and just say, hey, look, like that's a whatever you want to define it, flagrant one, whatever. Um, that, it's not worthy of an ejection. If you got someone, like let's rewind the clock to Arkansas 2017 when Missouri kicked the ball to start the second half, and one of the gunners just stood where he was and absolutely depleted one of our gunners, that is a targeting. <laughs> that is one where you want to actually eject somebody. So there needs to be a difference between the two. Otherwise, I like the rule. I don't like it for Nick Bolton here because you just tossed him out on senior day when it probably you know it was clearly accidental. But by the enforcement of the law, they did it correctly, and unfortunately the result is an ejection, which I don't like, but I think they did it well. What do you think? So, I tend to actually agree with most of what you just said. Um, I don't have an issue with what the NCAA is attempting to accomplish with targeting. I get it. I do. Um, Even if I don't love it whenever it's implemented into the game, I understand. You have these massive hits that you are trying to disincentivize. You are trying to make it to where a college football player thinks twice when a wide receiver is going across the middle with these reckless hits, right? You, you, you don't want the linebacker, in this case, Nick Bolton, seeing a wide receiver going across the middle with a crossing route and de him while he's trying to make the catch. And the reason why you don't want that is because of what we just saw on that play. The receiver ends up, ends up hurt. You don't want to see that. I get it. It is a understandable position to take the problem is once you institute that into the games as you said nate there needs to be a way for the referees on the field to be able to distinguish between what is a dirty hit and what is a football hit and i know that this is going to make things somewhat difficult to adjudicate once you put it into place but I would rather have them have the opportunity to be able to say, hey, that hit by Nick Bolton, while a big hit, and while still worthy of penalty, and I, I understand if it gets penalized. I can disagree with it all I want. I, it, fine. 15 yards, whatever. It is what it is. The problem is the ejection. Because it wasn't a dirty hit. You can say whatever you want about it and whether or not you believe that it was by the letter of the law or whether that should be the letter of the law. Neither here nor there. It was not dirty by any stretch it was within the game and so when he got ejected for that 
that's where I have an issue. And plays like that in the past have been plays that I have an issue with. And so moving forward, if college football wants to make the game better, a really easy way to do it, or better for fans at least, a really easy way to do so, and I think they've already actually considered doing this in the past, is just to be able to make it like flagrant one versus two, where the referees on the field or the replay review crew can determine whether or not it was a dirty hit. And in that game, there's no way, no way, that they would have come back and said, Nick Bolton deserves to be ejected because that's a dirty hit. There's no way in my mind that would have happened, nor should it have. There are enough uh, dirty plays <laughs> that, that made this rule come around. There's enough guys who have lost their careers because of these types of hits that this rule needs to be around. Um so, yes, it, it does need to be there. But, yeah, like you said, there needs to be a differentiating point. And the other aspect is that it needs to be called consistently. And I'm not even talking, like, league to league, like a Pac-12 targeting versus an SEC targeting versus ACC targeting. Like, I don't, I don't care about that. It feels like game to game, week to week, it's just not consistent. Um, I went back and looked at uh, the hit that Tyree Gillespie laid on uh, Keon Henry Knox last week against Vanderbilt. Very similar situation. It was a shoulder to the head, and it kind of looked like he was launching. Now, part of that might have been uh, playing the ball or whatever, but to me, if you don't call it on Gillespie, you shouldn't have called it on Bolton. And so I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the difference is. And it kind of comes Gillespie across. Gillespie had another similar hit in the Alabama game on Alabama's first series of that. That's game. right. That's right. I don't remember so, if like, it was Smith or Waddle, but it was against one of those two on a crossing route. I think it was Waddle. Yeah. And so I, it's just never called consistently. And and I'm not asking for, for the referees to be 100 percent consistent. But that's not going to happen, guys. That's not something you can expect. But I would like at least a little bit more uniformity. And it feels like it just kind of depends on whoever's in the replay booth or whoever is, you know, on the field as, as the head uh, head referee. So I understand that that's kind of part of judging in general. Right? It's it's a lot of it is is personal, uh, you know, the personal person, the person who's who's viewing it and, and their their ter- interpretation of it. I get that, but it it just it's it's not consistent enough. And I don't know if this year's been particularly worse than others, um, but we've seen it, uh, you know. In, firsthand what it can happen and it just seems like it's something that definitely needs to be addressed if we're going to keep it around which i I agree we should but it needs to be better if we want to keep it around yeah they've they've got to find a a way to make it um within the game easier for them to judge and easier for them to be able to come back and say like i'm glad that they could now review it and determine whether or not it was actually targeting that's a good start that's a good good start and the second thing that you need to be able to do there is during that review determine okay was this it was this basically an unnecessary roughness call or is this worthy of ejection and once once you can go to that i think more fans are going to be like okay whatever like i you you get fans that disagree with calls all day long right and and so that's that's going to continue to happen whether it be with this whether it be with a holding call or defensive pass interference whatever there's going to be calls that people complain about all day long understandably so in a lot of instances and i didn't think this game in general was particularly well officiated but at least then you're not having a player like nick bolton ejected from the game for that call that you disagree with and that's where Mm -hmm. it becomes a really big issue is Nick Bolton should have never been ejected 
a guy who is playing his last home game didn't get to play in the second half against his rival because of what I believe is a poor call. So that that's yeah. that's where things get problematic. Yeah, I agree, and you know we'll we'll see what happens during the off season. I don't I don't know if it's something they're going to address or not, but. I would certainly like at least a couple of leagues to adopt that sort of rule, let alone the NCAA as a whole. So we'll see what happens. Probably not. But you look at the fallout. Look at the fallout of what happens. Nick Bolton gets tossed uh, towards the end of the second quarter. You know, at that point, you know, we go into the half, twenty-seven uh, twenty, and from there on out, I mean, it's it's a game throughout most of it. Really, the point that I'm I'm making here is that think of that last Arkansas drive. <laughs> Who was in on that last Arkansas drive? It was Jamal Brooks. And on that fourth down play, when uh, Traylon Burks gets the handoff in the backfield and he's slowed and then there's an opportunity for people to pounce on him, who's there? Jamal Brooks. Does he stop him? No. Would Nick Bolton? Yes. I don't know, but probably. Yes. Yes, we do. <laughs> we do know. We, we do know, and the answer is yes. And even if, even if, that's not, even if the answer is no. Even if the answer is no, and Arkansas scores the touchdown like they did, they go for the two-point conversion. K.J. Jefferson rolls left, looks in the middle of the field, hits Jamal Brooks square in the hands, right where you don't want to hit him. (laughs) He drops it, pops it in the air. Mike Woods catches it. Does Nick Bolton pick that ball off, BK? Yes. Like, uh, Ah. all all of this, yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> probably it's it's better chance than jamal brooks no 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 offense to jamal he's great but like it was not a good day for him and we're and, laughing and because you know it didn't the, matter the other thing is like even if you even if the answer to the question is no nick bolt knocks it down he doesn't pop it yeah. back up you know like exactly um, exactly the, and this is not a, again like you said it's not a shot against jamal brooks it's not a shot against chad bailey nick bolton's a superstar Nick Bolton's yeah. one of the best players in all of college football, like full stop. I, after the yeah. game today, or yeah, after the game today, I was listening to a podcast that I really like. Um, it's called The Draft Show, and it's it's guys down in Dallas, and they are already talking about the NFL draft, as you can imagine. Um, <laughs> sure. And Dane Brugler is on that show. He writes for The Athletic. He's their NFL draft guy. And Dane Brugler said on that show Nick Bolton has a very similar game to the guy that I compared him to, Devin Ooh, Bush. Devin Bush. He said yeah. he reminds him a little bit of Devin Bush and that he's a little undersized. He's going to get knocked for his lack of length, but the way that he plays, um, the punishing style that he plays with, like he's got a lot of that to his game. And so when you lose that, yeah, of course, whoever the backup is, it's going to get worse than it was when Nick Bolton was in the game because Bolton's just that much better than everybody else on Missouri's defense, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's OK. It's OK because we won the game. But Jamal and, Ch- and Chad should not have been put in that position because Nick should not have been tossed into story. So, you know, Brooks and, and Bailey did what they could. I was actually really impressed. One of the uh, second to last or third to last uh, Arkansas drive. I saw Jamal call a call an audible. Uh, for the defensive line, and that's when they all crashed in the middle and 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 uh, got KJ Jefferson up running. Oh, nice! So it's not like he it's not like he did everything bad. He 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 saw a couple things there, and he's an upperclassman, so it's okay. It's just yeah, he's not Nick Bolton because I thought he was few clearly the better of the two. Agree, yeah. And Chad Bailey, agree, and I hope Chad that uh, you know he can get some development in the off season uh, and and get better because we do need someone to step up, whether it's him or 
you know, whoever. And, and he's certainly got the talent coming out of high school, so I'd like to see him get there. But, um, yeah, it's, it was a sneak peek at a defense without <laughs> without Nick. It was kind of like, uh, you know, whenever Sean Weatherspoon would go out in 2009, when you have to see the Matrix version of Mizzou defense, there is no spoon. Uh, and it was it was not super great at the time. Uh, but, you know, in 2010, they turned it around. They had a killer defensive line that was able to compensate and, and, and create havoc uh, or create disruption for the linebackers to clean up. Uh, that 2010 linebacking core was not super athletic, but they were good enough to, to deal with what the line gave them. So it's not, not all doom and gloom. We got a whole, you know, two other games to play in an offseason of conditioning and, and getting more acclimated to the culture and the scheme. So... Um, it wasn't great today, but we still have Nick Bolton for Georgia game and the Mississippi State game. Um, so it, it's not all bad, but uh, you know, I hope uh, I hope everyone takes this as a learning opportunity and, and hits the film room and really starts working hard. And a reminder, Jarvis Ware was not in for the majority of this game. And Jarvis Ware is a really important player on this defense, man. I think we've learned that at this point. When he's been mm-hmm. out, you can see the difference. The drop-off between him and that third corner – is really significant. I think it's pretty clear at this point. Enos Rakestraw and Jarvis Ware are clearly, without a doubt, definitively the two top corners on this team. Yeah. Especially now that Adam Sparks is is gone. Yeah. Opting out for the last two games or the last three games of the year, very odd. Um, I think so it, I don't. I think he was on the COVID list, right? So I wonder if he? it has a little bit something to do with that. I mm. that's not that's not determined like. For sure, uh, I I had heard, seen that somewhere, so I don't. I'm not reporting that by any stretch, but sure, um, yeah. I think that was the case. Well, he would be your ideal three, exactly. as it was. Ish Burdine came out and he, he did okay. I didn't notice him all that much, but I mean, everybody got burned, so it, it's, there's really no hiding there. Um, but hey, I mean, <laughs> this is what this kind of goes back to to what we've talked about before. You know, Drinkwitz was able to win a shootout against LSU. Uh, uh, Grinded, grinded down to a paste against Kentucky, and then he did it against South Carolina, and then we had another shootout against Arkansas. So he can do a little bit of everything. Uh, I like that he had the confidence, or so he says, that uh, it was 43 seconds and three timeouts. He went up to Connor and said, let's win the game, and Connor goes, let's win the game, and they <laughs> went out and won the game. Like It's all very good and cool, and, and you know, Missouri is able to extend the winning streak uh, over Arkansas to five games. I guess at my point, and, and I, got a, I got a tweet from early, and I'm – I'm vamping because I'm trying to pull it up here. Um, so Ron Davis at the Ronald Davis on Twitter said, uh, out of all of the five wins, BK, this one was the sweetest, correct? Some other big wins, but a 50 burger comeback win over Barry is poetic. In your mind, is this the best win of the season? Man, it's really interesting. Um, I put, I posted this on Twitter. What is the best win by Mizzou this season? And, Mm -hmm. Um, I gave the four options of LSU, Kentucky, Arkansas, South Carolina. Let's be honest. It's between three. It's between LSU, Kentucky, and Arkansas. Well, Um, it's not Vandy. I can tell you that. Yeah, that (laughs) wasn't even an option. Uh, 47% of the about 300 votes so far say LSU, 42% say Arkansas, and 10% say Kentucky. I, I think I'm still going LSU, and here's why. I don't know if what's happened since then happens without LSU. LSU was the turning point for me where I started actually believing that this is maybe potentially possibly real. Um, We saw nothing worth believing in against Alabama or Tennessee other than that they had a quarterback in Connor Bazelak now. 
LSU, though, was when we knew Connor Bazelak was the quarterback. That was when we knew, okay, even when they get punched in the mouth a few times, they're not going to roll over anymore. This is a team that can face adversity and they can overcome it. And it's freaking LSU, man. They won the national championship last year. You know that that team is more talented than what Missouri is bringing onto the field. And so for me... I know what LSU season has become, and it's not what any of us thought it was going to be. But for me, that is still the biggest, best, most important win of the year. What would you go with? I voted LSU, and I, I think you're you're nailing it here. Like this, this was the catalyst of showing there is proof of concept in Columbia, Missouri. Well, Drinkwitz can coach; he has a plan; he can win games, and. We we know that now. So you know, winning against an Arkansas team that's kind of the same uh, usurper that that Missouri is at this point, the the young upstart, like that's good. It's it's a worthy win. It was a tough win. It was an awesome win. I'd probably put it at number two so far this season. But LSU meant more because there's no one thought that Missouri was going to beat LSU, like no one. There were people who were saying Missouri could beat Arkansas. First and foremost, let's put that out there. Yeah, um, I think we LSU both is an to Arkansas. Yeah, exactly. LSU is the defending national champions. That alone, you got the defending national champions on your home field, and you beat them. Regardless of what happened afterwards, you beat them. And who knows what LSU does if they if they win that game? Maybe they don't fall apart like they have so far. Like that was such a catalyst, and it was out of nowhere. Like we all wrote it off. Like oh, no, we'll be zero three, and then we get the bye week, and then we you know we get to Kentucky, or you know, we get Vandy, and then we get Kentucky. Like we just whatever, and they won. And they won with an offensive outburst that we had never anticipated and a freaking goal line stand yeah. against the defending national champions. Like, after what we saw against Tennessee and Connor Bazelak with the full game, like, that, no, that, that was the most impressive win by far, the sweetest win by far. But very close, too, is Arkansas because, again, this sport hates usurpers. <laughs> like they don't want anybody new coming into the game. And when you got you when you get to pit two of them against each other, it's a big deal. And there is a lot kind of on this outcome here. You you had uh, Sam versus Eli for SEC Coach of the Year. You had Barry coming back home. Um, you had a lot of a rivalry game with with a with a winning streak on the line. Like there, there's a lot of interesting stories to this game. So the linebackers that went back and forth even in the media the this week, which was pretty cool. Is, that awesome. This was the first time that this felt like a rivalry to me. Like, really did. Yeah, and, and so I I I enjoyed that honestly. I think both of these teams have pretty good coaches. Um, say what you will about Pittman, and I didn't love the hire whenever it was first made. I think that guy's a pretty good coach, and I think he did a really yeah. good job. And what what differentiates it for me, I think he surrounded himself with some really good position and coordinators, yeah. um, and that's when I think you can really see like who the really good head coaches are because those guys joined his staff for a reason. Um, mm-hmm. and it's because they believed in him, and they believed that they were going to get better opportunities by going to work for him, and that just just doesn't always happen at Arkansas. So I think they've got a pretty good coach here, um, and I and I'm. At this point, I'm pretty definitive about it. I think I know Missouri has a good coach. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd absolutely agree. And I think his peers see that. I think the league knows that. Obviously, the talking heads are aware of it. And it'd be really nice to have that confirmed by SEC Coach of the Year. Do you think trophy. you want it today? I do. I do. But I'm biased. So. Yeah. I mean, 
if he okay, let me ask this: If he loses Georgia and Mississippi State, does he still win it? I think so. You won head to head against Arkansas. You finished the year with a better record than Arkansas did. Um, I I still think you would win it, but I think the way that you make sure of it is by beating Mississippi State at the end of the year. Like, forget the Georgia game, and we'll talk about that on Tuesday. Um, yeah. But if if they're able to take care of business against Mississippi State, that's how I think he puts it away because um, that is a team that earlier this year, Arkansas beat 21-14. So if Missouri can do something similar, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, think, I think that's how you put it away to me. And keep in mind, Arkansas's last game is next week, and it's against Alabama. <laughs> yeah, they're done. Not, they're they're going to finish 3-7. Yeah, I don't think they're going to get any further. And I, I – I understand that in any other year, you know, yeah, you could give it to a team that went three and seven with Sam Pittman. Yeah. I don't, I hear the Lane Kiffin talk. I'm, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't think, I mean, Ole Miss is cool and all. And Ole Miss wasn't that bad last year. Missouri and, and Arkansas were bad last year. So I don't, I don't see it, but yeah, you know, Eli's got the, the Georgia test next week and then Mississippi State. So he's got two more opportunities to make a statement. He gets to play last of the two, Sam and Eli. So I, I do think he wins. I think he's worth it. I, I think he certainly deserved it. And um, that's that's who my vote would go to, knowing that I am I got my black and gold glasses on. So uh, we'll see. That's voted on by writers, correct? I think so, man. I, I always yeah. get confused. with There's so many different awards in college football at this yeah. point that I just I, – I'm at a loss sometimes as to how they are determined. <laughs> Can you believe this team really might go six and four? Like seven and three is technically no. there, but um, let's, <laughs> let's be realistic. Like this team really might go six and four this season. That's incredible. After it's everything, absolutely incredible. after everything yeah. we've seen, they really might finish the year six and four and finish the year six and two in their final eight games. Jeez. <laughs> With a slate of Alabama, LSU, Georgia, like Florida. You played four. You played those four teams yeah. in one year, and there's a possibility you go seven and three or six and four. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. It's unbelievable, dude. I the the amount of optimism that I tangibly feel by Mizzou fans, like fan, Mizzou. Th- th- this is the thing that I um I kind of judge this based on, and maybe it's fault foolhardy to do so, but it is what it is. I've got buddies, friends that are texting me about Mizzou football that haven't texted me about Mizzou football in like six years <laughs> that, that are finally yeah. starting to be like, Oh my God, did you see that game today? Um, yeah. Or like, Holy cow, the Tigers are actually coming back in this one. Like that's the kind of thing where it's just, it is the very beginning stages of getting somebody on board, but that's when you're starting to get those people energized. Um, and there was the report yesterday, we're recording this on Saturday, so on Friday, that I guess the uh, the Board of Curators decided to go into a special session yeah, to potentially yeah. start talking about a new indoor facility, which is badly needed, mm-hmm. by the way. Um, mm-hmm. And they, I saw a piece by Dave Matter, and he was talking about it a little bit, and he was like, hey, listen... Um, one of the one of the board of curators said to him, "We've got a good football coach, and we know that, and we know that we need to invest as a result. That's a tangible result, potentially, mm-hmm. if they're able to actually pass this, of what we're watching right now. Um, mm-hmm. Once once the money starts getting behind this, and it seems like it's starting to, 
that's when you really could potentially see something special here. And then, of course, yesterday as well, you get a four-star safety out of St. Louis that decides to commit to Mizzou. So it's... I wrote about it earlier this week. What we're watching is a definitively successful season, but it seems like Drinkwitz is starting to parlay this already into what can potentially be something significantly bigger than just 2020. And he needs to, because you know the the sport that is 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 a results based business, and you don't get a lot of rope even out of Missouri. You know, ask Barry Odom. Um, you need to deliver and you need to deliver pretty consistently, and you it's very tough for you to take any steps back. So it's encouraging to see that, yes, the money is going, okay, we will we will give you what you want uh, based off of what we've seen because that makes him happy. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of kind of floating thoughts, rare negativity, just kind of floating around people's heads talking about, oh, it's going to suck when Michigan throws $7 million at him and he leaves. Uh, he leaves Missouri. And, yes, that is that is always a possibility. I mean, hell, Gary Pinkle was uh, possibly going to take the Michigan job in 2008, I want to say, uh, when Rich Rodriguez took it. Uh, he was a candidate. And, and that's just part of what happens when you're really, really good at not a blue blood school. Because, look, Eli's not going to take, you know, the South Carolina job or the – uh, or the, I don't know, the Cal job. Like, not, you're not going to do lateral movement mm-hmm. here. You're going to be poached by a big school, like a, like an Oklahoma, an Ohio State, a Michigan, a Texas, something like that. And, yeah, Michigan and Texas might be in the market for a coach after this season. Who knows? Here's the thing. You might not be able to give him the the, the check that he's looking for, the $7 million. You, you might not be able to cut that in Missouri like a Michigan or a Texas could. But what you can do is you can endorse what he does. You can give him money in other ways. You can expand the assistant pool. You can expand the budget for recruiting. You can improve the facilities. You can you can give him things that he's asking for for his program. You can deliver that. You can put money elsewhere. And with the wins is when you unite the booster core. And when that booster core is behind you, that's a pretty comfortable place to be. Not everyone's just going to pick up and leave when you know that you've done good with the money behind you. And yeah, you might get a bigger check somewhere else, but now you got to start all over again. And you know, Texas is not a healthy booster culture. Michigan is not a healthy co- fan base. Like there is something to be said for having the guys that, with the money in the place that you want. So don't don't assume that he's going to leave with the next biggest you know Brinks truck that backs up. And even if he does, BK, like yeah. you said, that's a good sign for your program because it shows that if you do well there, you can do well other places and people are going to want to come to you. It's funny because I just pulled this up. Um, I wrote a piece about this last year. Um, if you, you, I'm sure you remember, we talked a lot about this during the Mizzou coaching search. And it was almost exactly one year ago today that the piece went up, December oh, 4th of 2019. <laughs> the title of my piece was, Mizzou's next coach using this job as a stepping stone isn't necessarily a bad thing. I still feel that way. I got a lot of blowback from this um, and a lot of Mizzou fans that were like, well, if you're hiring a coach and three years later he leaves, you're back into the same spot. And the answer is no, you are not. Mizzou was in a really bad spot right now. And the roster wasn't, er, right, not right now, but a year ago. The roster wasn't in a great place. The recruiting hadn't been up to snuff. Um, and so you were put into a position where whoever the next coach was, was going to have a lot of rebuilding to do. If Eli Drinkwitz, three years from now, it's not going to come right now, but three years from now, 
is in a spot where he is in position to take the Michigan job. Let's say the next guy fails there, right? Which is entirely possible. Um, he's in a, he's in a position to take the Michigan job. Well, Michigan being interested in him suggests that Missouri has been really good over yep. the last three years. And if yep. they've been really good and he's been recruiting like he is right now at a top 25 rate, well, then whoever your next coach is, first of all, you're going to attract much better candidates this time around because you're going to have a team that they look at and they're like, oh, I could go win there right away, um, which is always helpful for candidates. And secondarily, like you're – you're, you're watching another coach get the job that everybody wants. Let's be honest here. Missouri is not a blue blood job. Would I like it nope. to be? Of course. But it's just not going to be that. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but Missouri being a job that is super attractive on that kind of second, third tier in college football, that's what it can be. I believe that it can be that. You've got St. Louis and Kansas City. You've got potentially Chicago that you can use. Dallas, you've got inroads. Houston, you've got inroads. This is in a, a really attractive job. You're playing in the SEC. You're in the better division. We've seen what the peak of Missouri football is. And so even if Drinkwitz decides to move on, whether it be Auburn or Alabama or Michigan, wherever, Missouri's going to be in a better place because they hired Eli Drinkwitz. And then they just got to make the right hire again. And that's that's difficult to do, but <laughs> welcome to college football, man. Um, th- them being in this spot, I would rather have a coach that put them in the spot where they've got to hire another coach because they hired the right guy as opposed mm-hmm. to the alternative. Mm-hmm. Missouri's not a G5, so we got that going for us. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, people are going to take notice if you are Missouri and doing well in the SEC. That's just part of it. So. Um, that's, that's part of it. Uh, that's part of the success. That's part of hiring young coaches and who knows, maybe Eli Drinkwitz and his family really like it here. And they, they, we are able to show enough support for him that he wants to stick around long-term. You never know. So that's these are all good problems. We, we don't know if he's even going to want to leave. He, he very well may love it in Columbia and he decides, you know what? I don't need to leave. I'm in the sec. (laughs) I can win the sec East. I can recruit here at a top 25 level. Why would I leave? So that that's also possible. But even if he did, I, I don't think that's as uh, doom and gloom as some Mizzou fans are suggesting right now. I agree. So it can't be done. But, uh, yeah, you know, like we always do, we enjoy the wins because we just <laughs> beat Arkansas for the fifth straight time. That's great. Uh, I got to take home the gigantic trophy uh, presented by Shelter Insurance, which is great. <laughs> Uh, and it stays home, man. Uh, so we're, we're going to be getting ready for Georgia and that's going to be a whole other burger to try and chomp off. But, uh, uh, before we leave any, any parting shots before we get out of here, you know, just, just feels good to be a Mizzou fan again. It um, does. I, I know it's, we've said this so many times this year, but man, it's just such a joy to watch college football on Saturdays right now when you've got a team that you really enjoy watching. Um, and the other thing I really like this team. Yeah. Like I, I really yeah. just I, I enjoy watching Larry Roundtree. I think he seems like a really good dude. I really love Nick Bolton. Um, I think they've got some really good personalities on the team. Harrison Mevis has become somebody that I really enjoy watching now. Like, I, I like the story arc of Kiki Chisholm and Damon Hazelton that it came to Mizzou to kind of get another shot, one more hurrah on college football, and the fact that they're really kind of living up to everything that we hoped that they would be towards the end of the season. I think that's a really cool story. 
I love the story of Connor Bazelek, who has come back from a torn ACL and was totally overlooked a year ago and is now just like clearly the future for Mizzou football. Um, There's just, there are so many awesome storylines surrounding this football team this year. And God, it has been so much fun to cover and so much fun to watch every Saturday. And that's what college football is supposed to be, man. This, this is what it's all about. It's about enjoying the time that you spend with the characters, with the the players that you get to see grow at the, in their time at your university. And it's, it's certainly become that for Mizzou right now. Amen. That's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or rate us. We love all types of feedback. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can follow that Rockham flagship at Rockham Nation. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, advantage me, M-I-Z. Z-O-U.